Jamie. And I'm Nikisha, and this is Talking Horror with Jamie. And Nikisha. Where we share our love for spooky things and talk horror through the lens of a human behavior. Welcome, guys. Welcome, welcome, welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Always. It has to be there every single time. Yes. And today we are talking about the 2014 Australian psychological horror film, Sir Robert Duke, The Baba Duke. Sir, you made him a sir. I love that. <laughs> sir. Sir Robert Duke. Also, sir if you hear Robert the random uh, male noise in the background, that is producer Brian joining us with his sir. fabulous uh, sir, producer Brian. No, no, no. Esquire. You described me as the random, what'd you say? The random male <laughs> voice in the background. Yeah. <laughs> the I random male voice in the background. <laughs> loved that. <laughs> so people don't know we have some new listeners so we want to make sure that everyone is fully aware of yeah. what is going on here at talking horror so yes we are talking about the Baba Duke, 2014 australian psychological horror film written and directed by jennifer kent in her directorial debut which i did not know the film stars essie davis noah wiseman Haley mckinney wait mckelhenny i cannot pronounce that correctly wow it's australian <laughs> McElhaney, yep. maybe? It's but it's MC, not MAC. Mickelhaney? I don't know. I I don't know. Mickelhaney? I'm not looking at anything. I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hinney. Mickelhaney. Mikkel yeah. Mickelhaney. And Barbara West. Uh sorry for this woman, Haley. I apologize for your name. But yes. So obviously there's going to be heavy spoilers. We're going to be talking through the entirety of the movie. And Jamie, are there any trigger warnings that people should be aware of? Yeah, there's a few. Um, there, <laughs> there are some violent images. Um, there is, you know, some child abuse, some animal abuse, um, some child on child abuse, some, random beheading which is very unpleasant um and other other spooky images but i think those are i think the child abuse is like the the most aggressively uh not great yes i think you covered covered all of them there's also a trigger warning for sir robert duke yes (laughs) (laughs) of course yes how could we have missed that if you're afraid of Dukes, so. Gay, 
<laughs> Gay icon, Sir Robert <laughs> Yeah. Oh, man. I'm excited to talk about that. <laughs> well, before we get into that, what is new? What have y'all been doing? I know you guys have been busy this weekend. Tell us all about what was going on. Very busy. It was, this weekend was New York Comic Con. Cons are back, baby. We yes. were excited to be there. Um, it was so much fun. Uh, I just like forgot what it's like to be in a giant convention center full of people dressed up as not themselves and spent way too much money on, on pins of all things. Um, but I got some really, I actually put some on my desk. Um, but one of my favorites that I bought, this artist did, uh, has this little like, uh, set called Anxiety Fox, um, oh. which of course the therapist in me stopped in my tracks and was like, "Excuse me, how do I how how much money do I give you for all of these?" Um, but the one that I got is a little fox, and it says, "It will be okay." And he's like a little teary eyed, um, oh. but but super cute. Um, and, and I just, I really, I wanted that message to be on my desk every day. Um, so that is where he's going to live. But, um, it was just, it was so much fun to, I mean, there's so many horror cosplays, like the most that I've ever seen. This is, I don't even know how many years I've gotten in a row. Um, but like at least six, maybe seven. I can't remember. Um, but there's so many like excellent cosplayers there. We saw somebody dressed up as, um, the stranger things, Demogorgon, uh, on the top. And like the bottom was like the, the wallpaper and the lights, um, with the leathers. It was incredible. Um, so many of our, you know, regular horror friends, Jason, Freddie, um, yes, our good you know, friends. Our, our, yeah. <laughs> um, our, our, our close friends. Um, and yeah, it was, I mean, it was definitely less crowded than normal. Um, but I actually think that made it a lot better because you actually had time to like walk through, meet a lot of these artists. We saw a lot of artists that we hadn't seen in the past. This was like their first con. Um, and it was just great to be able to like spend a lot of time with folks who are like doing this work. And it was just really, really heartwarming. I had a blast. Yes. And I was living vicariously through both of y'all's Instagram stories of Comic-Con because I am currently in Jacksonville, Florida, <laughs> living it up, living it up over here. So, and if you want to see some of the things that Brian and Jamie saw at Comic-Con, you can look at our Instagram at Talk Horror Pod and see some of the fancy stickers and such that mm -hmm. uh, they have posted on there. A lot of nice horror movie illustrations. Mm -hmm. It was yeah, like a fun time. It was awesome. The artist Allie was so great. Um, we just had a really, really fun time. Um, and if you check out my TikTok, I made a video of all the cool <laughs> stuff that we saw. Yeah, now we have a TikTok. This is oh, yeah. this is wild news. Yeah, go to uh, Talk Horror Pod on TikTok. We're going nice. to be covering. We're going to be covering stuff we don't cover here in like short short little pieces. And so we're going to do things like squid game there, Chucky there. Um, so follow us on TikTok. Uh, we'll post them on Instagram too, but you know, TikTok's a cool place to be, I guess. That's what I learned. Yeah. We're, we're basically Gen Z now. Exactly. Yeah. We got to be part of the cool kids. 
<laughs> We're gonna hashtag do our best on the TikTok, especially me because I am TikTok illiterate, and it's going to be a huge learning curve, but it's going to be a fun time. Jamie and Brian, you know, I, this week, I believe that you have the I have you have the inner strength within you. I you are very. <laughs> You can do this. I'm confident in your abilities. I'm, this is why you're my therapist. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm your personal hype man. Um, That is, that's my job. I appreciate it. Well, speaking of hype men, the Baba Duke, Sarah Robert Duke, the (laughs) hypest of hype men. (laughs) I almost, I almost said that, oh, we watched the Baba Duke this week. I'm forgetting <laughs> that, like, this is the episode we're doing. Because I like it so much that it, it, watching shows for this never feels like homework. But this one I love so much that, like, um, I, I was I, I don't know, we're just talking like friends about what spooky things we did. And I was like, listen, I watched this, I watched this great movie about a Baba Duke. Did you have you two seen this? <laughs> Meanwhile, Jamie was in the room when I watched it. This was our homework for this week. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, we should get into it with at least giving the people a summary of what is going on in the rot row. I'll do it. I'll take the I'll take the hit. What's the plot? <laughs> Ready? So okay. Let's do two minutes and starting now. Okay, I'm also doing this from complete memory, but <laughs> already off to a great start so what (laughs) happened was is that there is this woman and her son and the son is having some nightmares about things happening the woman is trying to console her son uh we find out throughout their day-to-day life that actually the mother is a widow her husband died in a car crash when they were on the way for the mother to deliver the son and the husband died, but you know, the son lived her and the son lived. And so now she's living with that guilt and she's having like stress dreams of herself with dealing with losing her husband, but also dealing with her child who has some form of a mental illness that we will get into. He's having trouble at school. She's just trying to be a single mother. Eventually this monster that the kid keeps seeing in his dreams, she starts seeing, even though she didn't believe him. And actually before that even happens, a book appears, <laughs> a book appears on a shelf Spooky. and it comes out of nowhere and it's called the Babadook. She reads it and it's a scary book. And now the kid is having even more nightmares, but we realize that the Babadook is actually a real monster that is trying to get to them, but it's actually just a manifestation of all of her grief, which is like really genius thing to even think of. And so they're trying to fight the Babadook together she uh, eventually overcomes it by trying to actually, I don't know, we'll get into it, but they overcome <laughs> the Babadook. He's actually still there though. He lives in the basement of the house, which I think is also a cool thing that she's still living with this monster and he's still there, but she's learned to like suppress it and deal with it. So the monster came because of her grief, but now she manages it. And now they just live happily ever after with the Babadook in the house. And that is kind of my awful summary of the Babadook. (laughs) Round of applause, round of applause. (laughs) And that's the timer. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> My God. Well done. Just a, a hot mess of a thing. But let's break it down into uh <laughs> scene by scene of what is happening. Well, actually, even before that, 
tell me your relationship with this movie. Is this the first time that you have seen this? And what are your general views of it? Brian already gave a little bit of it. So let's start with Jamie. Sure. So I've seen this movie many times. Um, I'm trying to even remember the first time that I saw it. And I, I have no idea because I've seen this movie maybe like 10 times. It's always the movie that I'm like, oh my God, friends, like I need you to all see this movie. I will watch it with you. And then I do. And then, you know, another one, um, as, (laughs) uh, anyway, so, um, I, I love this movie. This is like, if anybody asked me, you know, I want to learn about grief, but I don't want to learn about it. Is there a movie I can watch? Um, I would recommend this movie. I think it's a perfect depiction of some of, of, you know, any people grieving. Um, it's, it's so, I think it's incredibly well acted. Um, the kid makes my like heart, this movie is, is sad. Like every time I watch it without, without feeling that like anxiety and fear, like I probably did at one point, all I fear, all I feel is like deeply sad and empathetic. And like, I just, all I want to do is like hug this whole family. It's, it's so, it's so sad. And you know, it's clear that like they're, they're so, this family is so isolated. Um, the mom has like taken this on, on her own. She has a sister. Um, but like her sister's like pretty dismissive and, um, not particularly compassionate. Um, and I don't know if part of that is because it's been six years. That's something that I I think about every time I watch this movie is like how much time has actually passed because there's a lot with folks that I talk to about like grief and trauma and loss um, in therapy. There's a lot of pressure if you are the one grieving on like how long that process takes and like, you know, statements from others who say like, oh, you know, you should be over it by now. Why? Why is it still like impacting you? Like just move on already. And and so like I think that too really like highlights the fact that there is no timeline when it comes to grief, that it's something that like you're carrying with you, the way that it's impacting you can really shift over time. And so I think even you mentioned the end and we can get to that more, but like even the fact that, like you said, the, the Baba Duke is still living in the house, like that it's some, and, and she even says to her son, like, you know, when you're older, like at some point when he like actually, cause I think that too, it's like how do kids experience grief and like their understanding of grief, um, like learning what death is and loss is when you're so young. And like those concepts are, are pretty abstract and and like harder for a kid who's like more, you know, a concrete thinker to understand. And so like the idea that like over time he will, he too will learn grief in his own way when, when the time comes. Um, But all in all, I, I love this movie. I recommend it to everybody. um, And I can't like, I can't, talk enough about how good this movie is yes brian how about you um i've this is only my second time seeing it i watched Mm it maybe three years ago or something like that for the first time um and uh yeah i think this is a spectacular movie one of the best one of the best horror movies that has a specific allegory theme that they're working with uh and how they represent it through a horror film i think is 
really wonderful. I think that, and they never, in my opinion, it never, it never crosses over because nobody else sees Mr. Robert Duke in this. And it's only the two of them that see Mr. Robert Duke. And it really keeps everything isolated. So you really don't have to, it never ruins the illusion that these two people are dealing with grief in different ways and, and how they're dealing with it together and separately under the same roof uh, is a, and, and so you never is like, well, but the next door neighbor saw the Bobber, you know, Mr. Robert Duke, this is Sir Robert Duke, excuse me. You know what I mean? Like I, I like, at least for my own brain in terms of rules, I really like that this follows its own rules. I like that she has the only like thing that could be left up for interpretation really is like, was she doing all of these things? Did she, she said she's an artist. She said that she creates children's books. Her, her hands have the ink on them. The, the, you know, the charcoal pencils or whatever, when she goes to the police station, you know, is that the charcoal from the grill or is that the charcoal from the book? Like it leaves it open. And we could talk about whether who we think was doing all these things. If the Babadook, if, if the Babadook was actually real, like, or if it was just like, there are three things. Like I say, like, was the Babadook actually real? There was an actual monster haunting them, one. Mm-hmm. Two, is the Babadook something they just created because that is what they were going to do? Like, that is the is the Babadook something they created because of their grief? And, like, and it doesn't, you know, and, and, and it doesn't exist at all, and it's just them doing, like, wild things? Or... Is it like a combination of the two where, you know, the, the Babadook is potentially real, but it came because of his, I don't know. Maybe you know what I'm saying that that was a poor explanation because I'm just a (laughs) random male voice. (laughs) No, that's great. But I think the great thing about it is that it can be all of the above depending on how you want to interpret it, but it fits in either category that you wanted to. Yes. for me, uh, this is my second time watching it. The first time was PT, pre-therapy. And so I had mm. no understanding of <laughs> what exactly it was. So when I first watched it, I was kind of like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand what's happening. And so this go around, I was just completely in awe of everything. And the trajectory of the story, the fact that, you know, this there had to have been something that happened to make this book appear and lead to the events that were happening because I love how the boy is seeing it first after they, you know, read the book, but then he's trying to explain it to his mom and he makes a comment of like, he has to scare you first. Like fear has to be instilled in you first before you can see it. And then He'll show up for you and then he'll get inside of you. Like he'll, you'll let him in after the Mm -hmm. fear. And I thought that was just a cool concept in general, like thinking about fear and anxiety and, you know, going down that rabbit hole and then opening up the floodgates for other things to kind of be let in as far as, you know, which is, here's where my first question is with, as far as grief is concerned, do you think that grieving can cause different mental illnesses or like, how are you, how can you, well, I guess that is, that is my question because it doesn't seem like the mom 
had a specific mental illness before her husband passed. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So do you think like that she might've already had something and we just don't know. And it was just like exacerbated by the fact that her husband passed or was it because he passed that now she's dealing with like depression or, you know, whatever the case may be on top of like being a single parent, like what are your Mm -hmm. thoughts about that? I think it's more of the latter. Like, I think, I think more often it's like some culminating event is what's triggering like the reaction and the grief and like, depending on all kinds of things. Like, do you have a support system? Do you have a history of mental health concerns in your, in your family history? Um, like how effective, how well do you cope generally? Like how effective are your coping strategies? Um, things like that, that I think help, can help or hurt you in, in moments when you experience some kind of like great loss or trauma. And, and so like, those are things that I think can influence how, how you are then like processing it, how, how intense you might be feeling it, like how prolonged some of those symptoms are. Um, but yeah, so like my, my read on her is that things were seemingly okay. And then, you know, the loss of her husband and both like giving birth to her son, which like also is like a really like her life's her life is like turned upside down. And like, she becomes a widow and a parent at the same time. Um, and like having to also like the idea of like having to raise her child on her own when that wasn't like, you know, the plan that she had for herself. Um, like all of these things I think can absolutely like, you know, shift where some like their ability to function and operate and, and not be deeply impacted by a loss. And do you, uh, here's, this is going to be a question, but not a question, kind of a statement. Mm, all yes, the of course, <laughs> of course, like it normally is. <laughs> but in saying that, I'm just thinking to myself because she is an adult, you know, mm-hmm. she's married, she's pregnant, whatever. Everything is seemingly, as we can understand it, was fine before her husband passed. And the idea of being an adult and then realizing or having a trauma that happens and then you realizing that you might be slipping into some type of mental illness because of that trauma, it's just an interesting thought as an adult because so much of people who go to therapy, it's like trying to understand trauma in your childhood. You know, like Mm. there was something that happened back then that is causing you to act or be the way that you are now. And in this story, it's like, well, things are happening in a time where you kind of feel like you have a handle on who you are, you know, your personality, how you view the world. But then having this trauma happen in such a time, it's just an interesting thing to think about as an adult. And then do we think that there was something that was in the past that made her not have good coping skills, but also it's like, how can you develop coping skills for, for grieving someone if you've never lost someone? Yeah. That's like a resilience like question too, is like, you know, if, if somebody has never had to experience a lot of like trials and tribulations, like how, Mm -hmm. how effective are they? Like not even how effective, but like Mm -hmm. how, much has their resilience been tested that like enables them to get through continued hardships. Um, 
And, and so like, yeah, we, there's, there's so much that we don't know, but I think that the things happening in the present, like, you know, the fact that she, it's clear that she can't focus on like her previous, whatever her previous job was, like, she's not doing it anymore, whether it's because it was like connected to her, her former husband and like he, and like that connection is too overwhelming or because like, she's so impacted, like it's impairing her ability to like actually do that job, but like obviously needs to make a living. And so like has pivoted into this other field of work that's like, doesn't require that much from her. Um, and so like, you know, is that like, but that's not unheard of that like folks who've experienced significant trauma, PTSD, then, you know, can apply for disability because like they can't function at, at a job. Like they, they're, Mm -hmm. they're just so deeply affected day to day, hour by hour that like, they can't go back to work. It's too, it's all too much. And so like, that's, that definitely makes a lot of sense that like she, you know, or maybe like has difficulty focusing and concentrating, like all of these, all of these things that like may or may not, you know, be real or may or may not be like, or like related to the Babadook or, or just like symptoms of her grief um, that make it harder for her to like do some of these things. And like, I think just being, being a parent, like what is, what the things that she's responsible for, like she's responsible for this like tiny person um, and making sure that he's okay. And like, he's going through a lot of stuff too. Cause again, like how do kids process grief. Um, I mean, like it's not only is she processing it for herself, but she's also like has to then deal with her son who's processing it and also is having a hard time and like understanding like those conversations that he's having with, um, with his cousin, um, for like about not having a father and stuff like that. And he's like, no, I, I have a father. Um, and, and so like, even that is like, seeing how children are understanding loss is, is so effective in this movie. Um, but yeah, so like he, I mean, he is grieving, but just like not maybe in a different way that his mom is, um, and like just trying to make sense of it all, but like also very clearly sees his mom in such deep despair and pain and is so worried about her that he's like, I want to take care of you. And like that too, like, that's like heart crushing. Like that just, it's so upsetting because like she's trying so hard to keep her shit together and like just can't to the point that like her kid is, is seeing it and wants to take care of her. And like, I mean, God, I, yeah, he doesn't want to lose his mom. Like he already understands that he lost his father. And so Mm -hmm. now he's trying to do everything that he can to just protect the one parent that he does have, even when she is like lashing out at him or, you know, whatever the case may be. And mm. speaking of, oh yeah, go I ahead. Have a, sorry. I have a fun fact about that. Um, yes. So in those scenes when she is being like angry and like biting to him and like cussing him out, it's not actually, she's not talking to him. She's talking to an adult person who's standing, who's like kneel on their knees. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, cause I had, I read that a long time ago and apparently because, um, they, they didn't want to actually traumatize this young child. So they used used an adult, which makes me feel a little bit better. Yeah. Cause that is some awful thing. She tells him to eat. 
Yes. I feel like that, that scene is like so intense. And then like immediately is like, oh, I, I fucked up and like goes back and, and like gives him ice cream in like the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Which oh. kind of reminds me of like other movies that we've watched with like spousal abuse, like mm. verbal abuse and, and that back and forth of being angry and lashing out, but then immediately trying to turn their words around and apologize and try to make things like right. Malignant. Very, yes, like malignant. Mm-hmm. So having that malignant it, available on HBO Gabriel. Is that what we said? <laughs> yeah. Wait, what was his name? I forgot what H- his name. Gabriel. 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 Yes. HBO. Gabriel. How can you forget? Gabriel, wait. Because I'm at the Baba Duke now. I'm at Sir yeah. Duke. Oh man, Sir Robert Duke and Gabriel would they be friends? Absolutely. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I think that they would make a, a great tag team. You know, like do you have, think they would be a couple? <laughs> I would love to see like Freddie versus Jason, Gabriel versus the Baba Duke. Make <laughs> 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 that happen. Oh man. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yes. Uh, so obviously grief is in the mix for all of this. I have a question uh, as always, (laughs) what is, what do you think is the literal, uh, not literal, like, so the Babadook, she processes her grief and he is in, the basement and he stays there what would be the literal representation of like how she processed that grief in the movie if that makes sense so like in quote unquote like in the movie how she processes it like we really she just kind of like confronts it but then like like at the end yeah at the very end the um with earthworms yes (laughs) (laughs) but if someone is really processing grief and like going through it in that way how does that look literally as opposed to like are you talking about the actual confrontation and getting to a place where you can like accept it or okay okay like what is that literal process as opposed to like in the movie it's like her fighting a demon like (laughs) i mean we are fighting our demons and you know internally but how does that work look in the real world of, of processing grief and not necessarily just like actually trying to untie yourself from a demon and throw up, you know, <laughs> bio, throw bio. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think that there's like a lot of different things and it, <clears throat> I think it depends on like how recent the loss was. I think it depends on like how, like what state the person is in, in terms of like uh, how they are, like how they are affected by um, the loss. And so like we see, we see her, um, you know, like angry, we see her feeling helpless. We see her like deal with insomnia, um, like stuff like that. Um, And so I think like, depending on where somebody's, where someone's at in terms of like how much that stuff might be getting in the way of them to be able to talk about those things. But like to whatever degree somebody is open to it, I think it's like being able to sit with those really uncomfortable and distressing feelings regarding the loss for it, like as opposed to denying or avoiding or compartmentalizing all of the time um, to, to like really process what it means to like do certain things that you used to do with that person, not with them anymore. Um, 
and like what it means to like be alone without that person. Um, and, and also like, are there ways where you can stay connected and continue to remember that person and like keep them alive in other ways without them being physically present? Um, so, uh, you know, like, anniversaries and things or like holidays are typically harder times because like, even though they come every single year, it's still like a reminder that that person is not there with you to celebrate those things. And so like, what are things that you can do like in remembrance of someone? Um, some people like will, will go to the, the gravesite like every year in remembrance of someone, some people will, um, you know, like keep photos up, memorabilia, some people will journal, um, things like that. Like other, other ways where they're like remaining connected to, to that person, um, in whatever way, like resonates with them. Um, but again, like talk, like I would say the more that you like kind of acknowledge the painful emotions and acknowledge like how difficult it is and also like support, like I said before, like really makes a huge difference. Um, because like when, when you're experiencing the loss, like you might want to isolate yourself. You might feel, you might feel incredibly alone, but then also like further like reject other people, but like truly Mm -hmm. having, having a social support system plays such a huge role with like mental health as a whole. Um, and can like very, like there could be two people who have experienced the same exact thing and like the person who has the support system has a much higher likelihood of like processing that more more quickly um and and like can maintain themselves like a lot more like there's like research into this um and so like having having a support system really is and if and it doesn't have to be like family it doesn't have to be like friends like there's so many other resources that exist um one of them that actually got really popular during the pandemic is this resource called the dinner party which is really cool and basically it's like this online gathering of people um they have group ones and they have individual ones, but it's like anyone who's, who's experienced a loss, like comes together and it's like, you know, other strangers, but the unifying thing is that like, you've all experienced a loss. And, and I think that there's something incredibly moving and empowering when you connect with somebody else who empathizes with you and has gone through a similar experience. And so like, that can be incredibly valuable in, in processing grief. So those are all the things that I imagine she's doing in her basement. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and, I, and what's so beautiful in that scene too, is when at the, at the very end where she is like feeding it the worms and it's kind of like coming to her and overwhelming her. And she's like trying to just like hush and subdued it. And she's just like, it's okay. It's going to be fine. And I just think that's a beautiful moment because sometimes when if it's on the day you know and you're in remembrance of whoever passed and just kind of like consoling yourself and like you said sitting with sitting with those feelings and saying like yes this is overwhelming but I'm just going to feel how I'm feeling and process it and like it'll soon you know pass and Mm -hmm. it's still going to be there but I'll I'll confront it, you know, I'm not just going to leave it locked up in the basement. Like I'll go and Mm -hmm. confront how I'm feeling, you know, process that. And then, you know, take the next, that next steps from there. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And also what you're talking about with the support system is great because sometimes you do need to let like family go who is not supporting you so that you can have peace in the example of Aunt Claire, who Mm -hmm. definitely was not giving her any kind of love or listening or attention that, or help that she needed in her time. And so even though that's her family member, like she just needed to let that go for her own peace. And I think that's just a a great thing because sometimes we feel like family is the only thing, even if it is toxic. Mm -hmm. So it's just nice to say like, for my peace, I have to let this go, even if it is like a blood relative uh, and, and figure it out for yourself. You know, maybe it's in the neighbor that the mm-hmm. mom had, you know, that was, oh, that was so nice. help. and she was so sweet just to be checking up on them. And, uh, yes. So as far as Samuel, the boy, the little boy, they don't really mention a mental illness for him, but mm-hmm. what would you, as you said earlier, read him as, <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard. It's so hard. I'm not a child therapist. Um, Mm -hmm. and I used to do work with kids and I used to really want to be one. And now the idea of it is like funny to me. Um, but it is like, it's a lot more difficult to diagnose things in kids. Um, because like, you know, some of it can be, again, like, is some of this just lashing out because of the loss that he experienced or is there something else going on? Um, like maybe it's ADD, like maybe it's like ADD presenting in the kid. Um, but I mean, I, I don't know. I really think that it's more, uh, like the grief that he's processing, even, even with like the part where he has the the seizure in the car, which that part always makes me laugh when the mom, I really resonate with her when she goes, why can't you just be normal? Oh, yes. <laughs> um, but it makes me laugh. Cause I tell that to myself sometimes, but um, the part, <laughs> the part when like, then he has a seizure and like, kind of just like having like a fit, um, which again, like, I think, you know, sometimes like kids can get like so upset about things and just like work themselves up so much and like, mm-hmm. it, and like they're inconsolable and, and, you know, she, she gets sedatives from the pediatrician to like help because he's so worked up, especially around night, which also I like super resonate with because I used to suffer from nightmares as a child every night, could not fall asleep. I was not at this degree that he was at in terms of like creating weapons to fight this imaginary grief monster. But I definitely like every night without fail would go into my parents' room. And then one of them would like, let me sleep in bed or sleep on the floor. I like had such an issue, like even into my like tens, um, I like couldn't sleep in my bed and like slept on the floor in the spare bedroom for a while. And then like my parents bribed me with this nice queen size bed. And that was like the first time I actually slept in my bedroom um, when we moved. Yeah. It was like, my nightmares were like wild. That was actually the first time that I ever saw my own therapist um, was when I was like nine or 10 um, because my, it was just like interfering with my sleep so much and my parents sleep also. Um, and it really helped. And like, she helped me come up, she recorded all these like self-soothing things to do like before bed to help me calm down. Cause I was like, so 
I was so anxious and like worked up and like afraid that something was going to happen. And she was like, you're cool kid, like calm the fuck down. And then like do these, like, like listen to these like relaxation tapes. Um, and it was helpful. I still have nightmares, but I don't have to call my parents anymore. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You just wake up Brian and be like, (laughs) something weird happened. Yeah. Give me ice cream. (laughs) I think I probably asked you this, uh, before in another podcast along the way, but how early can you even diagnose a child? Because I know sometimes there are things that you can find before a child is even born potentially, like if mm. there might be any kind of underlining issues, but like, uh, is there an official age that you can say, Oh, this is what this is. And not just like a developmental thing. If that makes sense. Um, I don't know. Like there's a lot of rules about how early, like you might, see some things before the teenage years, but there's a lot of like poo-pooing about diagnosing before that time. Um, Cause again, there's like so much happening in terms of development that like, is this, is this something that is like a lifelong thing or is this something that is like contextual to like something going on right now? Um, because also like there's a lot of hesitancy when it comes to um, medicating, you know, children, Um, so I would say that probably in the teens is like more to, I I guess like some exceptions would be like, um, like autism spectrum disorder where like, again, those are, there are, uh, milestones in childhood development that parents and doctors are monitoring. Um, but like the spectrum is so huge that it still can like take some time. And there's things that like kids do that like, you know, could potentially present as a symptom, but might not meet any of the other symptoms or criteria for a diagnosis. So like people are just kind of monitoring that over time, but I would say probably in the teens, you might have more of an idea if something is like kind of ongoing, long lasting enough where it's like, maybe we should pay attention to this as like something else going on. Yeah. That's just so interesting. But that makes sense that you wouldn't want to, then that's why I say you wouldn't want to diagnose something too soon. Cause it, it might just be a part of like development that they might, you know, fall out of, or, you know, whatever the case may be, like, even when we've talked about like imaginary friends and all that stuff with the other also malignant, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, And, you know, kids can have that for whatever reason. Like there's not really, sometimes there's not a specific reason why they like make up people and then it just kind of goes away and it never comes back again or manifests itself in any other way. So it's just hard to pinpoint things. Plus like some, some like psychotic type symptoms can develop like even later in life. So like, I think that there's a, there's like this misconception that like, you know, uh, a, a kid or a young person is like, portraying some kind of signs of something like early on. And then it's like, Oh, you got this thing and you got it for life and that's it. You're done. But like also a lot of people like don't start showing signs of um, like psychosis, like hallucinations or delusions until they're like in their mid twenties. I remember like literally (laughs) when I turned 25, 
Um, I was like, cool, I can rent a car, but also like, I have not have any hallucinations yet. So like, that's a good, that seems okay. We, I think I'm, I'm hopeful, but yeah, like, you know, it's not, it's not always like things that are happening so early on. A lot of times it's, it's later. Cause again, like our brains are still developing, like when we're, you know, in our, in our late teens into early adulthood. So like, it can be up until that point that like something happens. It's all yeah. very interesting though. I know that's what I was going to ask what the age range of like when you stop or when you're at your, when you stop developing in that capacity, but you kind of said like or in your, into your twenties, it could be. Yeah. I think from what I remember in all my, uh, grad school <laughs> classes. I mean, well, that makes sense because where I was at 24, 25, <laughs> where I am now is completely different. I actually still feel a little <laughs> bit like a child, but less like a child. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it's all, it's all relative. What is, child, what is childhood anyway? We're, we're on TikTok. We're Gen Zers now. Oh my God. Uh, I can't even, you yeah, know. We're going to TikTok around the clock. That's what they say, right? Those are the cool yeah, things. Yeah, that's, that's what they say for sure. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll TikTok it. We're with, we're with the TikToks. <laughs> we're on the TikToks. <laughs> Fantastic. Like, well, why can't we, why can't we just like normally talk about TikTok? Like we have to be like, we have to like highlight the fact that like good yes. for us uh, old timers using TikTok. But like, <laughs> but like we're also like feeding the stereotype that we're just like, don't you? Oh yeah. You know what? You don't use TikTok. <laughs> like. I love it. But also, love like, it. we're like boomer millennials. I literally was thinking like boomers who are on Facebook. It's like mm-hmm. millennials are on TikTok. That's, mm-hmm. yeah, totally. Just the, except for even more learning curves because what the hell is technology? All this, <laughs> I can't even fathom. Great. Do you guys think that book is still in the house? The Babadook book with the new ending? Mm. Mm. I want to say yes, probably in okay. the basement. Cause that's also like, that's where all of her husband's stuff is. And like, that is also where it all yeah. starts. Right. I think so. What do you think, Ryan? You're just like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's a real physical book. I, I I'm, I think it's a real physical book. It's probably down there. Okay. I think so too. I mean, if he's still there, I want to say, I want to have a um, happy ending to it and say that it's the full story, but with a happier ending instead of, you know, the pop-ups of the mom mm. strangling, strangling the kid the and, dog. and the he dog and like killing herself in the very elaborate pop-up that was. Uh, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I also think that like, that may be what we talked about, like, in terms of one of her ways in coping, like, we can even talk about uh, hereditary, like, one of her ways of coping in hereditary with grief was to build these models. They don't, they don't outright say it here, but like, maybe one of the ways that this woman um, deals with grief, maybe not as healthily in the beginning as she is doing at the end, is creating this book about grief that you know is graphic before she has actually like done the work and is a little bit more you know controlled in a post you know um i don't know post babadook world we'll call it like even though he's there in terms of like <laughs> getting it under control this also reminds me of the, of a of avengers where like hulk's like no, no cap i'm all, my that's my that's my secret cap i'm always angry 
Mm. Like, I feel like that's like, it's like my, my secret to keeping this grief <clears throat> under control is acknowledging the fact that I am sad and that is okay. But I have these, because even the last shot where she's holding her son in the backyard, like they still don't have any friends. The woman next door who is so deeply wonderful where she's like, I will do anything to help you. Like mm-hmm. she probably lost her husband, um, you know, in terms of like at an older age, maybe not tragically, but she's alone. Right. She, she can only imagine. And at the end, they know she's coming. She still has issues with the sister and understandably so. Um, but, you know, that final shot of her holding her son where there's this like relief but also like this like still there's sadness there like it didn't go away she just has she has more control over it without like you know telling her son to eat shit (laughs) (laughs) i shouldn't laugh (laughs) i know i mean it was a great scene but it's just like so aggressive Yeah. And out of nowhere, I mean, well, not out of nowhere, but just like those, those, why did she choose those specific words? Say, I was well, he he hungry. I loved it. Uh, and that just reminds me of the help when Minnie was like, here's my pie and you just ate my shit. Uh, and- it <laughs> also reminds me of the visit and the diapers and the visit. <laughs> uh, I heard you don't like dirty things. Amazing. Oh, uh, any last thoughts about? <laughs> so, wait, <laughs> all right. So I have a list of things that I we want. I want to bring up. Yes. Mm. One, the fact that it opens with a car crash really sets the scene in terms of um, just like this is about the dra- the the trauma. Like this is about this moment in time and and it and how this tree branches into like her whole life. Um, two. I really like that her kid is strangling her at the beginning in the sleep. Very symbolic of the fact that she feels like this kid, she loves him, but also he ruined her life at the same time. Like, Mm. so it's like that physical strangling. Also, he grinds his teeth in his sleep, which shows that he has anxiety already because of Mm -hmm. he, he's in a, like, like dogs, like, Dogs are an emotional creature. They can feel, they can sense that. I can only imagine children like sensing the adults, like anger, sadness, and reacting to that. And he also has his own trauma because like he's growing out up with, without a, it's not that he's growing up without a father. He's growing up without, a, without parents, essentially, because she's not doing her job. Um, I like that she helps other people for a living, um, but she can't help herself. Um, she can't take care of other people, but her job is to take care of people. Um, uh, I, I mean, we talked about this that the sadness creeps up around birthday times. Um, yeah. the book is already in the house. Oh, another, another very str- striking moment is when she is masturbating and he interrupts any moment she has for herself for, for self care, for self, like alone time, whatever the case may be. It's, it's always a reminder. Um, She's just, the actress has a, such a good job of being so tired the whole time, but not oh playing tired, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, when she gets the afternoon off, when she lies to get the afternoon off, that whole scene is shot like she's having an out-of-body experience, as if, like, she doesn't, she, as if she's 
you know, she she sees the other couple making out in the car. And obviously that 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 is the alone that she feels and she sees other people not alone. But it's almost like she hasn't treated herself and God knows how long. And she like doesn't know how to do it. I thought all of this just feeds into what we've talked about, but also just like the tone of the film. Um, yeah. Oh, when the little kid yells, she won't let me have a birthday party and she won't let me have a dad. Mm. Woo. Um. It all starts, it all really starts to show up when she goes into the basement and is like reminded by that of, of everything. Um, oh, so the glass and the soup, the scratched out picture. Do we think that's actually the boy doing it or do we think that's her having done it? Like all those things that, those, all those physical things that we believe the Babadook was doing, did she do it or did he do it? Because... I'll also say before I get your answers, um, by, Jamie talked about this at the beginning of the episode of this episode, um, not another one of this one, <laughs> where she said like the idea of time is weird in this because like there's a lot of like those quick fast forwards or those quick cuts, and so like how long has she been sleeping? How long has this been happening? You know, like we, we get it because she's late for work and stuff like that, but she's losing all sense of time. So she's an unreliable narrator. Therefore, we're not getting the pieces where she put the glass in the soup, that she scratched the picture out of it. Or maybe that's the son doing it while she's sleeping through that. What are your thoughts there? That's interesting because then it also makes me think of the bugs behind the wall that weren't there. Hmm. So, and I don't think that we, that the boy Samuel sees those bugs but she does and it just makes me think like did he even see like the I don't know I think it I think it is the Babadook slash her and not the boy because the boy is trying to protect her so I don't think he would like scratch the picture out or whatever like I don't think that there was real motivation for that but I feel like all the things that are happening are just kind of like the Babadook just trying to get inside of her. So like, mm. was there even really glass there or was he just trying to frighten her? You know, just like there wasn't any bugs behind the wall, but she's mm -hmm. like, you know, trying to clean up and like stressing over that. And mm -hmm. so I, I think it's like things that didn't happen that were just kind of things in her mind that we see happening, like adding to her deterioration, I guess. That's my thought. Interesting. I didn't think about that at all. That's interesting. Jamie. Yeah. I, I, I think it's her. I think that like, I mean, she also, again, like she's an unreliable narrator and like, we've talked a lot about like mental health in this um, episode, but like, is she having a break from reality because she is sleep deprived? Like, it, like oh, we don't sure. know what is happening. Cause like, there's that whole part where, um, before she, before she kills the dog, where she, thinks that her son goes downstairs and she goes downstairs and then sees her husband. And like that whole thing happens. Mm. I, I feel like that's like happening in her head while she's like watching that TV show. But then mm. like also simultaneously is like sitting and watching the show and like breathing really heavily and like, 
like that creepy scene. Um, and then like the dog comes out and, and that happens. And so it's like, what's actually happening in real life. It like, I I thought those two scenes are happening simultaneously of like what she thinks is happening in her head versus what she's actually doing in reality. And so Mm -hmm. like, it could be that she, that like she did those things, but then is imagining or like forgetting that she even did them. Like, I think that she, you're like, she's so tired and like, we know what happens when you don't sleep. Like you're losing time. You're not paying attention. So like, I think she very well could have been doing the, I mean like hallucinations. Totally. She sees the cockroaches in the car when she's driving and causes Mm -hmm. the, the tiny car accident. So yeah, that's, that's my thought. I didn't even think of pairing that with the sleep deprivation. Um, but that makes a perfect sense too. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that all the other women are in black at the girl's birthday party. Mm. Um, we've talked about her being a writer. Oh, when the little boy says, I promise to protect you. If you promise to protect me. Woof. Mm. Yeah. Um, dirty hands from the book, the phone call. Oh, is the phone call real? Probably not. We don't know. Um, mm. I really like. I'm sorry. How, what phone call? Can you do it really quick? Baba do 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 that one. <laughs> yeah, that's so maybe, good. Thank you. Uh, maybe I'm Mr. Robert Duke. Oh no! no. Spoiler. <laughs> um. So there's that, and then <laughs> like I like that the boy is just like when he talks about the next door neighbor's Parkinson's and she's like, yeah, that's fine. Like, this is a real thing. We're talking about it. Like, and the mom just like shuts it off immediately. Like what a like a microcosm of like how she just won't even deal with like things that are real and like happening around them. Um, mm-hmm. She can't pay her bills. Right. I don't know why I wrote that. Great. The Baba Duke <laughs> enters her sick, depressed birthday grief, right? Birthday grief. Um, she grabs mm-hmm. her. I know she pulls out the, the what do you call it, out of her mouth? The tooth. The tooth. Ugh. But like, you know, that she's she's also touching her jaw and grinding her jaw, just like the boy was at the beginning in terms of just like this this anxiety. Um, and then, uh when the, the last two things I wrote here because then I just like yeah, it, was the, it was the best. Uh, the when the boy says he won't let you love me. So mm-hmm. talking about the Duke, but really talking about grief i mean that yeah. i just got i just got goosebumps that was good and then um and then like when they realize when the boy realizes that like oh no he'll never go away like there's this almost like acceptance of the of the grief but then there's the acceptance of like what the grief actually is mm-hmm. i i just think that's just like it's just such a, it's a perfect this type of horror movie absolutely and sorry, I'm looking up because something about losing your teeth. Like I remember hearing when you dream about losing your teeth and like what that kind of means. And so like fear of rejection is like prompts you to have dreams of losing your teeth. So maybe like she was just having like an hallucination of losing mm-hmm. teeth and it says something oh, about like, that's that. That's interesting. Um, La, 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 la. Yeah, it it says that dreaming that your teeth are falling out actually signals that you fear rejection and feel powerless in real life. Hmm. So maybe that's just like that particular particular moment which is a representation of her like losing her power because <clears throat> the Duke is like entering inside of her. 
Mm. And also when Brian, you mentioned like when she's at the police station and she has the black on her hands, I saw that as like, that was part of the Babadook already attached to her since it's like in black instead of like being the charcoal. But that's also like a, a a great thing to think about that. She was actually writing the books herself. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that's what I got from it. The first time I watched it and this time, this time more so, because we talked about like our versions. The first time I watched it as if the Babadook was real, Mr. Robert Duke. And, yeah. mm-hmm. and but but like we're just like talking about like you know watching it through the lens of grief but like the babadook is a real thing that's actually happening to her this time i watched it through the lens of the babadook is not real like these are things mm-hmm. that she has literally she's seeing these things she's putting these things on her son like and her son starts to pick up on her cues there like her inability to deal with this head on, like his acting out at school, all of that is because he doesn't know how to deal with grief. So whatever re- he's, he needs attention. He wants to protect his mom, whatever the case may be there. That's what he's doing. Cause he doesn't know any better. And he's getting all these lessons from his mom. And, and so this time I watch it as if the Baba Duke, Mr. Sir Robert Duke is not real. Like it is just a figment of their imagination, but they have created this thing that they're seeing the, 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 the cockroaches, Sir Robert Duke, all of that, because this is her grief has become so extreme that she just like, can't justify like living a normal life anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. not saying one, one way is right or one is not. No, I think, I it's, think it's so, open to all interpretation. Yeah. I mean, it's so spectacular that you can even watch this movie like that. And it really works both ways. Right. Exactly. And I will say another just random thought. I love the idea of the fact that if you're not processing your trauma, then it's, it's going to affect the people around you. So the fact that she's not processing her grief is what's causing all of the issues with her son, because he's only like, reacting to what she's not processing. And so I think it's like a a nice idea of like, make sure that you are, that your trauma also not, it affects other people or it affects how you treat other people, not other people, other people, it doesn't matter, but how you treat other people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, And I just like that idea of it. So it's like, let's make sure we're processing everything for ourselves and how we like treat other people especially if it is this specific mother son relationship totally nice what a wild romp of a film so we do um should we do the um rotten tomatoes mm-hmm. Okay, friends, what do we think the Rotten Tomatoes is for this motion picture? This film with a capital F. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say 88. 88%. Jamie. I was going to say 87. Mm, I see. (laughs) It has a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. Good for it. No, no, the Babadook. (laughs) <laughs> not Pennywise. <laughs> got it. Oh my God. Uh, hanging up. No, <laughs> don't hang up. Still marry me. Um, okay. <laughs> so um, <laughs> the critics consensus is uh, the Babadook 
relies on real horror rather than cheap jump scares and boasts a heartfelt, genuinely moving story to boot. Nice. Nice. Mr. Robert Duke really getting in there into our heartstrings. Um, (laughs) All right. So should we do the four S's? Yes. Skull scare shakes and suggestions. The talking horns four S's. <laughs> okay, so what the four S's, as we all know, are skulls, scares, shakes, and suggestions. Uh, Nikisha, let's start with you with skulls. Again, it's for those who are new listeners, it is a one through 10 ranking. Um, one being the lowest, 10 being the highest. And skulls specifically is about mental health and human behavior, how well they executed on that. Yeah, I gave it a 10. It's just an excellent representation of grief. It's just beautifully made. Tens across the board. Jamie? Um, I agree. 10 chef's kiss. Love it. We'll watch it again. I know I will. Yep. All right. I am also a 10 on skulls. So next is scares. How scary is it? How jump scary is it? Are there spooks? No, no, nothing spooked me. Everything. I mean, even, Yeah. It was beautifully made, but it just wasn't scary. I don't think it's meant to be scary. Like the consensus said, like they didn't rely on jump scares, mm-hmm. but it was just so much more. So I would just say on a two on the creepy scare. Okay. Mm-hmm. Jamie? Um, I'm going to give this a, seven, a 6.5 because I know when I like the first couple of times I saw it, it's even though I had seen it, it like it really freaked me out. Um, I think Robert, I think Sir Robert Duke is like a pretty scary uh, image. And I had read somewhere also that all the scenes that he's in, it's all stop motion and or not animation, but stop motion when he appears. So I think that mm. too is like unsettling. Like the creep factor is really high. I feel like there's a lot of tension. Um, and like the few times that you do see him really like scared the pants off of me. So 6.5. Do you think he's, he's a scary also, image? <laughs> yeah. I don't oh, so see it. <laughs> uh, his I put, big old claw fingies and his top hat. You don't, you're not afraid of his top hat? <laughs> um, not, I, not, I gave it a five just because it feels right in the middle. Sometimes it's scary. Sometimes it's not. I, I jumped this time once. Um, but uh, something that we didn't talk about in this is that um, the Bob, for those of you who don't know, the Babadook is a gay icon because it was oh, yeah. accidentally sorted in like um, Netflix's uh, Q. Netflix's Q for like LGBTQIA plus stuff. So like it was, it was, <laughs> it was listed in like you know like gay movies um, on uh, on 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 Netflix, and it just like there were memes, and it just took on a life of its own. So that's Mister, that's Sir Robert Duke. All right. Shakes. Um, Can you shake this movie? Is this one you forget about when and done? Like on what level is that? I gave it an eight on the stick around in my brain, especially this go around for sure. Sure. Jamie. I agree. Also an eight because I, I just adore this movie and will continue to find things that are new and enjoyable about it. 
I'm also going to give it an eight. Nice for the uh, other re- for those reasons. All right, God, we're just on the same page. Oh my god! <laughs> um, suggestions. What are your suggestions for this movie? W- what other movies should people watch after having watched this movie? Okay, so y'all know I'm terrible at suggestions. It's fine. I've dealt with it. I have peace about it. But I looked <laughs> up <laughs> different. I looked up Australian horror movies. Like, what are people's like top oh, sure. ten lists of Australian hmm. horror movies? And on a lot of the lists, I saw two movies that reappeared, and it was Wolf Creek, 2005. Haven't seen it. I've seen Interesting. That. Wolf Creek and Lake Mungo, 2008. Oh, that's on so many of the lists that we've seen recently. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, so I both of those movies as a, a Australian horror, they have <laughs> appeared on multiple lists. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna put those out there. Interesting. I like that you went that way with yes. Australian because I'll, I'll go next. <clears throat> I went with um, I went with other movies about grief, other horror movies about grief. Um, and I'm going to go with the original Pet Cemetery. It's a very different type of grief. Um, mm-hmm. It takes, you know, but it is grief and there are different uh, different solutions to that, which, you know, like, and, and, and it, it is an allegory for grief and kind of like wanting things that can't be brought back to you and, 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 and the consequences that that could have, whether it's a physical manifestation of that or whether it's just an emotional manifestation of that. So I went with um, the original Pet Cemetery movie, not, not the remake. <laughs> yes. Jamie? Um, so I also went in a different direction. Um, my, my suggestion is going to be 2013's Mama. I went for the the mom connection, oh, sure, sure. Um, and that movie has some scare. It's okay, but um, I think it's uh, like an interesting story about um, motherly relationships, the different kinds of motherly relationships, and yeah, that's a good one. Well, we these are some good. We we went in that totally different right. directions. That was really good. Yeah, thanks, Sir Duke. <laughs> Bringing out the best. <laughs> Fantastical. Well, yeah. that ends our episode of the Baba Duke, Duke, Duke. You can find, <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. Whatever. <laughs> you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and now the TikToks. Woo! At Talk Horror Pod for all three of them. Yes, Brian? Yeah, that's correct. I put yeah. it, it's now in our, uh, it's now in our season two descriptions. Yes. Fantastic. Out. Follow us on all of those mediums, especially as Brian was saying earlier in the episode, we're now going to be on TikTok, giving you some episode by episode recaps, giving you a little bit of extra spooks for the holidays. You might see us do some little um, haunted houses and such. We might put up, you know. Oh, yeah. Like we, should, we should TikTok the haunted house. We should. Mm-hmm. That's such That'll a good idea. Out. We can TikTok so much. So much now. <laughs> so much content. So be sure to follow us on all that so you don't miss a thing. Brian, where can they listen to us? Sure. You can find us whether podcasts or podcasting, including things like Spotify, including things like Stitcher, including things like Apple Podcasts. Uh, there you can rate and review us. Five stars, please. And thank you. And thank you.
thank you, thank you, thank you. Amy, do you have a quote you want to leave us with on the Baba Dicks? Why can't you just be normal? <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye.